whole pilot's plain tales. Flight in a bird dock. In 1975, as the North Vietnamese began their final attack on Saigon, the rapidity with which the defending positions collapsed was surprising to most American and South Vietnamese observers, and probably to the North Vietnamese and their allies as well. The CIA's belief that the South could hold out for at least the next year proved to be disastrously wrong. President Ford's administration had started planning for a quick and complete evacuation of the American presence, which involved moving all but 1,250 Americans, the number that could be removed in a single day's helicopter airlift. The escape for those South Vietnamese that wanted to leave was far from easy, with American visas being a major stumbling block. Operation Frequent Wind was the code name for the evacuation and in the final days more than 7,000 American personnel and those Vietnamese considered at risk were taken by helicopter from various points in Saigon. The Hueys began to clog the decks of the American carriers and eventually many were pushed overboard to make way for others to land. Some pilots were told to drop off their passengers and then ditch at sea. In the city of Saigon, when approved landing sites were overrun, makeshift arrangements were hastily made, such as the elevator motor housing on top of the Pitman building, which was famously photographed with a Huey precariously perched on top as refugees scrambled up, desperate to claim their last chance of freedom. The number of Vietnamese which ended up entering the USA as refugees totaled over 138,000. The fall of Saigon was without doubt a low point in American history, but with it came moments of bravery, skill, desperation and compassion. One such moment is the story of Major Bung Lee of the Vietnamese Air Force and Captain Larry Chambers of the United States Navy. Those Vietnamese who fought with the Americans faced awful reprisals, and it was known that anyone who had aided the U.S. was being hunted down and mercilessly slaughtered. Many were dragged from their houses, shot and left to rot in the streets. Major Bung Lee and his family were one of those at risk. In the final desperate hours, unable to arrange the evacuation of his family, Major Lee took a terrible risk. Grabbing one of the tiny two-seat Cessna 01 aircraft, normally used for reconnaissance and artillery spotting, he called his wife and five children together. Getting his entire family into the little machine, which was basically a modified Cessna 150 and nicknamed the Bird Dog, was a struggle, but he managed it. The craft was overweight, so he couldn't take full fuel, and it was going to be hard to get it airborne. He fired up the Continental six-piston engine, which flat out only gave around 200 horsepower, and lined up on the runway at Conson Island. The bird dog gave of its best and got them safely into the air, but soon they were trying to dodge enemy fire while striving to get out over the ocean. 
Major Lee had no idea where the American fleet was and no real plan of how to save his family. He just knew that it was better to try something than to remain where he was. Heading out over open water, he droned on, looking out for a friendly ship to ditch beside. But an ocean is a vast place, and a ship, even a mighty American aircraft carrier, a small dot. As a husband, a father and a pilot myself, I wonder at the bravery that kept Major Lee's hand steady on the controls as he flew further and further out to sea with his most treasured possessions beside him, his entire family. The sea ahead must have looked completely empty and the land behind out of sight. He must have felt that he was alone in the sky and that rescue might be impossible but it was then that he saw a helicopter, also flying out to sea. First one, and then another. They were almost certainly part of the evacuation, and if they were heading out over the ocean, they must be going towards some ships. The Major turned to follow them, trying to catch up in his small machine that could only do a hundred knots on a good day. The weather was grim, and he was down to 500 feet above the water and in poor visibility, but at least now he had a vague idea of where to go. In one of those marvellous twists of fate, the Major was about to become a very lucky man, as somewhere ahead of him, aboard the USS Midway, was Captain Larry Chambers. Chambers was the very first African-American to command a US Navy aircraft carrier. A naval aviator and fighter pilot, he had flown combat missions over Vietnam, but having been promoted, he had now been given command of the mighty Midway. He had hardly had time to get comfortable in his seat on the bridge when, a mere five days later, and with his ship docked in Subic Bay with part of its engineering plant torn apart, he was ordered to prepare for Operation Frequent Wind. Only days later he was steaming to aid in the evacuation, which he started without orders when the Vice President of Vietnam landed on his deck. Chambers saw who climbed out of the helicopter and figured that the operation was starting whether he had received orders or not. The evacuation was coming to a close when a bridge crewman first noticed a speck in the distance over the South China Sea. It looked different to the incoming helicopters, and as it approached it became evident that it was a small aircraft, an O-1 bird dog. What the hell was that doing way out here? Slowly but surely the aircraft approached, and Chambers tried to figure out if it might somehow mean to harm them. It was refusing to answer their calls, but unbeknown to them, the aircraft that Major Lee had commandeered didn't have a serviceable radio. Chambers edged forward in his chair, but the O-1 put its landing lights on and then began to turn into a rudimentary landing pattern. The deck of the midway was crowded with the evacuation helicopters. There was nowhere for a landing, but after a couple of passes overhead, something fell out of the Cessna and clunked onto the deck. It was a pistol. In the bird dog, Major Lee had been trying to work out how to get in touch with the Americans. 
He knew he could ditch beside the aircraft carrier, but having had to cram his family into the tiny space, he knew that a ditching might drown them all. He had never even seen an aircraft carrier before, but now he was close to it, he thought he might be able to land on the deck if only they could make him some space. Taking a paper map, he scribbled a note and threw it out of the window. It blew away in the wind off the deck, so the Major tried again. This note met the same fate. Now it was third time lucky. Lee wrapped his final note around his personal firearm, tossing it out of the window as he flew by. On the bridge, Captain Chambers could clearly see that the tiny craft held a whole family, and he immediately understood the desperation that the pilot must have felt to have brought his loved ones into this situation. The note that Bung Lee had written was brought to him, and as he read it, being a pilot himself, he knew what the Major faced, and he quickly resolved to do what he could. Can you move the helicopter to the other side? I can land on your runway. I can fly one hour more. We have enough time to move, Lee had written. Please rescue me, Major Bung, wife and five child. Chambers called an impromptu meeting with the Midway's air boss and the CEO of the task force, Admiral Harris. Between them, they realised the likelihood of disaster should the O-1 ditch and agreed that their best chance was to let Bung attempt to land on the carrier. However, to prepare the deck before the bird dog ran out of fuel was going to be hard work and Chambers knew that his decision might well put him before a court-martial. Putting aside his concerns, Chambers put his crew into high gear and orders started to flash around the whole fleet. They had been idling along, hardly making headway during the helicopter operations, but to get some wind over the deck they were going to have to increase speed dramatically. Part of the Midway's power plant had been shut down for maintenance, but now the chief engineer was being asked for 25 knots. This wouldn't be available right away, so the engineers shifted the hotel load, the electricity used for every other purpose other than propulsion, to the emergency diesel generators. On the deck, although frequent wind was coming to a close, helicopters were still flying to the ship. All available hands, regardless of rank, were ordered to the flight deck to assist in moving the parked aircraft. Any helicopter that couldn't be moved in a safe and timely manner was to be pushed over the side of the deck. An estimated $10 million worth of the UH-1H helicopters were quickly stripped and then jettisoned into the sea. While this mad dash was going on, five more Hueys landed, and once their passengers had been safely hustled clear, these aircraft met the same fate. Meanwhile, the arresting gear, strung across the deck, was also removed, lest the cables foul the O-1's gear on landing. At last, Chambers felt confident to give Major Lee a green light. The crew all knew what was about to happen, and every vantage point was filled with nervous watchers. Until that day, Major Lee hadn't even seen an aircraft carrier, let alone tried to land on one. Nobody on board could tell him of the dangerous downdrafts that always followed a moving carrier, 
although they had transmitted blind both in English and Vietnamese, just in case the O-1's radio could receive. The Major carefully lined his aircraft up on the angled deck, naturally accommodating the induced crosswind that his approach gave him. Nobody had ever tried this feat before, and certainly not in such desperate conditions. The little aircraft approached quite slowly, close to the stalling speed, and they could all see that it was being buffeted by the turbulence the ship created. Avoiding the deadly effects of the fantail, in a stroke of masterful flying, the Major touched down as if he had done it a thousand times, right on the centre line, in line with the three-wire, the perfect spot. The plane bounced once, and then the crew rushed forwards to grab the wingtips and drag it to a stop. The men of the midway whooped wildly as they rushed up to the aircraft. Major Bung Lee and his wife were embraced and welcomed aboard as strong American hands carried their children to safety. Captain Chambers ordered the bird dog to be secured on deck. He rightly felt that this tiny craft that had brought seven friends of America safely to the midway deserved saving. Indeed, it can still be seen at the Naval Aviation Museum in Pensacola. The Major was told that the captain wanted to see him. He anxiously remembered watching so many expensive helicopters being thrown into the sea and wondered what faced him. However, Chambers greeted Bung Lee warmly and congratulated him on his bravery and a magnificent piece of flying. The Major was still shaking but so glad that his gamble had paid off and he was overwhelmed by the generosity of the crew, especially when they raised funds to help his family start their new life in the United States. And what of Captain Chambers? His actions could well have landed him in considerable trouble, and, at the very least, put an end to his career. However, he went on to become the first African-American graduate from the Naval Academy to also reach flag rank. During his long and distinguished career, he served as the commander of Carrier Strike Group 3 and later Group 4, before finishing his time as vice commander of the Naval Air Systems Command. After retiring as a rear admiral, he spoke of Major Bung Lee, saying, He was the bravest man I have ever met in my life, and said of his decision to allow Lee to land that day, When a man has the courage to put his family in a plane and make a daring escape like that, you have to have the heart to let him in.